0: If you have a Bible and you would like to let me invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1 as Jim uh, mentioned to us in our call to worship. Uh, This morning we're looking at Mary's song the Magnificat and her response to God speaking to her. uh, The reaction that she has had and what we can learn from that because whether you want to avoid it or not right Christmas is here. Uh, Whether you love Christmas, whether you hate Christmas and everything that comes with Christmas is now Upon us, whether it 's kind of Santa and the reindeer, and you have kind of a you know, kind of a wonderful memory of childhood and uh, and him, you know coming late at night, uh, whether or not uh, perhaps it 's uh, a little bit more about the decorations uh, on your on your house or on your best friend, uh, as it were for some of us, we get a little panicked about Christmas Eve because of the the, the crowds and the insanity the uh, the internet has helped a lot of that uh, shopping online has helped a great 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 deal but I basically Try to stay away from South Kirkwood Road in front of Target for the entire month of December. And I try to stay away from Ballas and Manchester this this time of year because it's just, it's insane. Uh, there might be other images for those of us who are a little bit older as we think about Christmas past. I remember Ralphie, uh, you know, him wanting the Red Rider BB gun, putting his tongue on the frozen pipe still kind of gives me uh, chills. And then the quintessential Christmas image, of course, uh, Clark Griswold. Uh, and uh, and the Griswold family Christmas. So, you know, you may have been feeling good this morning. Now I've just kind of ruined your day uh, as you've come in to think about all the craziness that can come with Christmas. But what I hope we could do this morning is dig a little deeper. Uh, pretty much every message that our culture sends to us about Christmas is very much man-centered. It's about us. It's about whether we get what we want for Christmas or not, it's, uh, it's about uh, our world and about what we need. And scripture uh, speaks to our need, but it does so in a very, very different way. So we hope to dig just a little bit deeper this morning as we look at Mary's interaction with God, his word to her, uh, and then her word of response. So here's the word of God. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 30 through 38 and then skip ahead to 46 through 55 the angel said to mary do not be afraid mary for you have found favor with god and behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end he said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Skipping down to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is for the illumination of our hearts. Our prayer is that you would speak to us uh, big, bold words in front of uh, our sanctuary and on every uh, sermon slide, God spoke. Father, we need your word desperately in a broken and sinful world. Father, we need your word desperately personally to know what it means to experience salvation and new life, to know how to live uh, our days here as your sons and your daughters, uh, not your slaves compelled by duty, but your children compelled by love. Father, that's a new uh, thought for many of us who have lived in fear of you uh, because someone told us that that you were watching every move and that you were mean-spirited and that you would get us if we did wrong and bad things. Father, we do wrong and bad things. There's no question about that. But what is really true is that your response to those who hate you is love. Your response to those who ignore you is to engage them with the challenges of the truth of your gospel. Your response to one who flees from you is to pursue, not out of powerlessness, not out of hope that perhaps some will come back, but out of power and out of might and out of glory and out of grace. You come to us with the compassion that we find in the Lord Jesus. So Father, help us to understand this morning what you have spoken and apply it to our hearts and minds. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your word this morning. Lord Jesus, come and teach us. We pray in your name. Amen. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is this. God's words to Mary and then through Mary calls us to live lives of confidence in our God and compassion for humanity. So we're gonna just very briefly look at God's words to Mary, and then we're gonna spend the bulk of our time looking at God's words through Mary, through her song, uh, and ask the question, how does that cause a reaction in our heart towards God, but also how does it cause us to live Together, I have four observations in this text. The first one is simply the, the title of the series, God Spoke. So if you look at, uh, at the angel coming to Mary, representing uh, God the Father, he speaks directly to Mary and he says some pretty amazing things to her, that she's going to conceive and bear a son and that you'll call his name Jesus. The first thing that God says to Mary is that you're going to be the mother of the Messiah, Jesus means technically God saves. So Mary is told right off the bat that what's going to happen here is something of God's doing. God wants to be very, very clear with Mary. He doesn't want her to be confused. I can only imagine how she felt about this message. There was probably some fear. There was probably some trepidation. There was probably some confusion. There was probably some, really, me? I'm, I'm the one. There was probably a million things going through Mary's heart. And God could have said anything he wanted to at Mary at that particular moment. But what he said to her is, you're going to be the mother of the Messiah this passage goes on he says you shall call his name Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David so Mary and Joseph both come from the lineage of King David and what God says to Mary secondly is that you are the mother of the heir to David's throne now Mary has a lot of Old Testament passages that speak to this Uh, In the Psalms, in the prophet Jeremiah in particular, he talks about the root of the, the stump of Jesse is going to come a branch that's going to redeem Israel, going to redeem the world. And so Mary's, the message is reinforced that this Messiah, this one, is of the house of David. He will inherit his father's throne. He goes on to say this, and he, in verse 33, towards the bottom of the screen, and he will reign, over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So in speaking to Mary, he says, you're going to be the mother of God's, the king of God's eternal kingdom. That this child that is born to you is eternally significant. So kind of, again, put yourself in Mary's shoes and put all this together. Remember if if you're a mom or a dad, when you you found out about your first child coming into the world, remember how, how just, uh, just amazed you were, and how, for nine months, you just kind of you know kept preparing but but it was just this amazing journey we were our literally our first anniversary I'd saved up enough money on our first anniversary to take Cindy out to uh, to a pretty nice restaurant in Chattanooga, and she said, and oh by the way i 'm pregnant, which really added to the conversation at dinner quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> in that we were thinking we, you know, we got to have this plan of five years and do some fun stuff and then have kids and, and God had other plans. But, you know, I was like in the headlights. You know, you almost don't hear anything else. Everything else is noise. And so God is very specific with Mary because he wants her to hear in spite of all the noise. You're the mother of the Messiah. You're the mother of the heir to David's throne. You're the mother of, of, of the king of God's eternal kingdom. You know, and you wonder how, how would Mary respond how, how would she hear this? Because it, it had to be just overwhelming. You know, I, I, perhaps maybe she went out and bought one of those bumper stickers, you know, proud parent of King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you know, and nobody else could ever have that bumper sticker again, the rest of the world, you know, maybe she put it on the donkey as they went down to, to, to Bethlehem a few months later that uh, people would have wondered about that. But what's important for us is not only to hear the content to Mary, but to understand that God was not only speaking to Mary, but he was speaking to you and me this morning. What God is saying to you this morning, what God is saying to me is make no mistake about it. People can say whatever they want to say about Jesus, but I'm telling you, this is the truth about the son of Mary. And God's speaking to us this morning. How will we react to that message? Well, to try to unpack that, let's think about, how Mary responded to this message. Uh, and I have three thoughts here. The first is this, that Mary understood her own condition. Look at how Mary responds when, when she begins to, to sing the song, as it were. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now again, Mary could have put, in, put anything else in there. She could have said, uh, God, my Lord. She could have said, God, my King. But she, But she listened to what, the message was and she responded appropriate. She understood that she needed a savior. This goes counter, counter to some uh, the, uh, theologies that have developed about Mary over the years. But Mary uh, was not perfect uh, and needed the cross just as much as you and me. She wasn't someone special because, in the sense of not needing salvation. She wasn't chosen by God because she was perfect. She was broken and needed to put her faith in Jesus too for her own salvation. And she understood this. So she claims right off the bat that she gets it. I understand that God is my savior, that I need redemption. But she goes on in verse 48 to say this. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Again, she's reflecting on herself, right? for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary understands that she is someone that is, in a sense, in the grand scheme of things, very insignificant uh, on the surface. Leon Morris uh, has written a commentary in Luke's gospel, and he says this about Mary. She sees herself as insignificant, but that does not matter, for the mighty one is at work. When Mary says that she is of humble estate. She's not saying, you know, uh, I appreciate all the compliments, but I'm really kind of a humble person. She's not saying that. Mary's saying, I look around. I, I know who I am. <laughs> I get it. She was probably maybe 15 at the time, maybe as old as 17 or 18. But but she understood that she was a very young woman. She understood that she came from very modest background, uh, you know, lower level in the economic stratosphere. She knew of the, uh, of the history of the Greek empire and Alexander the Great. She was living uh, really kind of at the pinnacle of the Roman empire. She certainly uh, saw herself in that context and she's like, well, who am I? I'm, I'm really nobody. And yet that says something about the character of her God, that God actually loves the person that don't think they count for anything. And Mary grasped that. She understands that. So she describes herself as humble. But she also describes herself as being blessed by God. Look at verses 49 and 50. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary understood that God's strength and God's ongoing mercy were what were really ruling the day. It wasn't the Roman Empire. It wasn't the, the, the high priest in Jerusalem. Uh, it, it wasn't all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those names you read about in the gospel. All the, It wasn't King Herod, right? It wasn't any of those people that God was on his throne and that he was working and using his strength to care for her. What this, I believe, created in Mary uh, in this response, that she she understood her condition. I think it created within her a sense of grace and gratitude. That she understood that God had been gracious to her, and so she gives thanks. She gives praise. Her heart is filled with gratitude towards God. Mary understood her condition. Secondly, Mary understood God's character. Let's come back to verses 47 and 49. Um, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has looked on the humble state of a servant. He has, who is mighty, has done great things for me. God uses His power on behalf of the needy. If you're here this morning, you're like, I, I kind of feel like a nobody. I kind of feel like if God's out there, He's probably too busy with a lot of other really important things. There's a lot of craziness going on in the world, and He, and he probably doesn't have time for me. God knows you. He knows you intimately. wants to be in a relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to bring you salvation because God cares for the needy. He cares for the person who looks at the mirror and says that person looking back at me is insignificant. They're they're just not important. And God says, stop. (laughs) That's a lie. That's not true. I've come just for you. So I've I've been reading this week a little bit, maybe like some of you have also been doing about James Mattis, the man who's been picked by Donald Trump to be the Secretary of Defense. And, um, and he has this nickname, Mad Dog, but, and I, this is not a political statement. But one of the things that I read about him is how much the, the, the corporals and the, and the privates in the Marine Corps loved him. And I read a quote by him who said, and I can't quote it exactly because he used some colorful language, but he basically said, you know, the colonels and the captains and the majors, they they can do whatever they want to. I care about the 19-year-old kid in a foxhole. Now, if you've ever had a 19-year-old kid in a foxhole or you've ever been a 19-year-old in a foxhole, right? That means something to you. That says that that person of great power, four-star general, and there are stories told time and time again of him when he went to visit forward sections, not spending the night in a Kwanzaa hut, not spending the night where it's warm, but going out and spending the night in the foxholes with the kids who are on guard duty and and hanging out with them and asking them about their family and caring for them. So you may like them or not like them. Again, this isn't a political statement, but that says something about someone who has great power using it in a way that cares for somebody who would say, I'm pretty sure the general has no idea who I am. But you might be here this morning say, I'm pretty sure God has no idea who I am. That's not true. God uses his power on behalf of the needy. But also notice that Mary points out that God shows no partiality towards those who are in human power nor does he ignore man's arrogance right he has shown his strength with his arm he has and and there are five different times where she says he has in this section he has shown the strength of his arm why or how he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart he has brought down the mighty the rich he has sent away empty so the proud says i don't need god I don't need salvation. I don't need Jesus. I can take care of myself. I'm the the master of my own own, uh, uh, life and and vision. Uh, The Bible is is useless to me. I've got it. I don't need God. I don't want God. And God says, you can stay with those thoughts, but they're they're going to end up uh, in tragedy for you. But God doesn't allow pride to enter into the conversation with him. God doesn't look back and say, well, I'm really impressed with you. Just as much as as God doesn't care how low you are and how insignificant you feel, he also doesn't care how how good you feel about yourself. And, And some of us feel pretty good about ourselves apart from Christ. And God says, you might want to rethink that notion, right? He scatters those thoughts. He brings down the mighty, the rich he has sent away empty. God shows no partiality. As we think about how we apply this passage, we need to think about that in our lives with one another. Do we love folks unconditionally? Do we, do, we, do we play favorites, so to speak? Something with which I think the, the Christian church in general needs to wrestle because God clearly does not ignore man's arrogance and, and Mary understands that because she's saying if, if, if God thought that was a good thing, he certainly wouldn't be here talking to me. Right? That wasn't part of her life. Mary understood God's character. She also understood that God's love for the needy And the forgotten and the oppressed. Look at verses 52, 53. He has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Now, I want to say something here because the word oppressed is not in there. And I just said that God loves the needy, the forgotten, and the oppressed. But Mary says something very uh, important here that we ought not miss. And that's in verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. If you go back through Scripture and you study the Old Testament and you study the New Testament, what you will find most often, not, not all the time, there are times when there's a famine in the land. There are, time, there are times when everybody's hungry and, and, and nature has kind of run its course and it hasn't rained for a while and, and everybody is, you know, kind of in, in a sense of lacking. But more often than not, the lack of food in Scripture almost always happens because of man's evil happens because man oppresses others and here where God is against the proud and the mighty and the rich what what goes without saying it's because he's against those who oppress the widow and the orphan what Mary is dealing with here is the difference between God and mankind how God uses his power for grace and man uses his power to get more power and to care for himself, and to care for the, 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 the inner circle of people around them, and not to worry about others. The man lets mankind, humanity lets selfishness drive uh, the, the conversation more often than not. And Mary is, is really penetrating to the core and the heart of the, the problem of mankind, which is our selfishness. And so you might not care about the needy, I might not care about the needy, but that's not God. God cares about those who have been oppressed. God cares about those who have been hurt by others. C.S. Lewis, in his, uh, in his uh, books, The Chronicles of Narnia, the first book in that series is called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and probably many of you have read it. C.S. Lewis is trying to describe the, the picture of humanity apart from God's grace. He's trying to, in in this fictitious land uh, where these four young children go to visit and end up becoming uh, kings and queens in that country, he's trying to put into words what it's like in your world, in my world, when God is completely absent, when we take Jesus out of the equation. And he writes it this way. He says, it was like it was winter all the time, but never Christmas. That's a brilliant statement, right? First time I read that, I was in fifth grade. And it just jumped off the page at me because I was thinking, "What? <laughs> no Christmas? <laughs> this is a travesty." We this this game, but the the notion of it being always but that's what we do. Apart from Christ, that's how we live our lives. That's how we hurt one another. And so Mary, it, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, points out that the character of God is so radically different than the nature of mankind. And so. Not only is she filled with grace and gratitude, but her confidence is in her God. Look at what he has done. He has exalted. He has filled. Her trust is not in herself. Her trust is, is not in any man-made institution. Her trust is in her God. Mary understood her condition. Mary understood God's character. My third observation in this text, uh, fourth overall, is that Mary understood the larger implications. Look at verse 54 and, uh, and 55. <coughs> Here's another one of these he has, right? He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our father, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God's mercy for lost humanity is at the center of this message. It's not just Mary seeing that, that God's caring for her and that God's going to do something magnificent for her. But Mary is understanding that God is at work in something much greater than just her own personal story. I want to come back to Leon Morris for just a second. He says this, Mary is saying that God's action in the Messiah is not so much completely new as a continuation of his mercy to Abraham. So I wanna take you back for just a second to Genesis chapter 12, and I wanna remind you of the promise that God gave to Abraham on the first day that Abraham met God. God calls to him and he says this, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise of Jesus right there in Genesis chapter 12. One of the very first prophecies in the Old Testament. It's not the first one, but it's one of the first prophecies. And God speaks to the salvation that's going to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's mercy is not introduced to us in Mary's song. The Gospels, the New Testament is not where we see God's mercy beginning. Where we see God's mercy beginning is in the creation account all the way through the book of Revelation. The entirety of Scripture is about the grace of God ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ to humanity. And Mary gets the bigger picture. The question is, do do we see her song as our song? Do we see that we need this God do we see that we need his mercy and his salvation? Do we understand that, that God is about the salvation of mankind? He's about your salvation. You are not insignificant, but neither is the person sitting to your right or to your left. Neither, neither are the folks that are outside of this room this morning. Do we understand that this is our song and we want to join in the singing of it, not just with our mouths, which we're going to do in a few minutes, but with our hearts and with our lives with what God has given to us. One of the songs we're going to sing in just a a few minutes, uh, Christmas Carol, that's that's pretty well known. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Uh, Probably some of you know, maybe many of you know, uh, that Henry Wadsworth Longsfell wrote that as a poem, and it was later put to music. Uh, And I want to read for you a couple of the middle verses of the song because it speaks to the temptation to to be... um, just sad by the brokenness of the world. And Longfellow wrote this uh, poem in, 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 kind of at the height of the, of the Civil War. Uh, was, the war was still raging. It was 1864. Uh, Grant had not yet surrendered to Lee. The, the war had not yet come to an end. And he's thinking about Christmas, and he's thinking about the world in which he lives. And he says this, In despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Yet pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Uh, I, I so appreciate the fact that Longfellow would get to the heart of the issue. But, but what you may not know is that Longfellow wasn't just uh, bemoaning the state of the world in general. Uh, two and a half years before he wrote this poem, he lost his wife in a tragic fire. The next, uh, it was in July, and that next Christmas, uh, he wrote in, a, in, in, in his journal, uh, as it were, the children all say Merry Christmas, but I can't find it anywhere. It's a person who suffered deep grief, personal grief. He, uh, he had a son that, was, that was, was wounded terribly in the Civil War, never fully recovered. It's a person who understood the pain and the brokenness of this world. And so he said very honest. That's what I love about this carol. It's honest, right? The world mocks this notion. But God is not dead. He does not sleep. Will we join his song? So I had some application slides this morning. I'm not, J.D., I'm not gonna go to them. Uh, You can just leave it where it is. Um, (laughs) Why are y'all giggling? Uh, Because yesterday we had... Let me just tell you: If you don't have a Kleenex, you're going to want to get it out, not because of me, because I'm going to get off the stage here in a second. Um, but yesterday we had affordable Christmas, and many of you, maybe all of you, most of you, contributed to that to that um, opportunity to share freely with other folks. And I was talking to one of the volunteers who was kind of a key leader in the, and I said, I, I think we need to hear this story, but not about like, hey, let's pat Green Tree on the back and say how how wonderful. We are, but rather, what do we learn about God's grace and mercy? What do we learn about man's need uh, for that compassion? And the way in which we live really is important. So Christy Hayes, I'm going to ask you to come and talk to us for a few minutes.
1: You already had me crying. Shoot. I'm brought my. Ugh, i going to try. This is so tall. I'm so short. So sorry. Um, sometimes we hear the word poverty, and it brings up a different set of emotions for us. And a different set of definition. Um, Sometimes it feels like us and them because it might seem like we aren't materially poor. But when we look up the definition of poverty, it's just brokenness and neediness and how all of us in here are so broken and needy for a savior. And for those of us who have experienced the loving kindness of Christ, how grateful we are for that in our life. And when we get to journey with other people who might look different than us or seem different than us or have different backgrounds than us, when we journey with those people in that neediness and that brokenness together, it is the most beautiful picture you've ever seen. And I think when God sees that on full display, it's exactly what he intended the body of the church to be in this world. And I got to see that on full display yesterday. Yesterday, we had affordable Christmas. And if you've been here for a while, you know that we have been collecting presents for 12 months for this store. And it was a store where they had brand new toys, games, clothes, um, books, all brand new. But the families who just maybe needed a little extra help this year got to purchase it with their own money for a tenth of the cost. And we talked with Kirkwood School District, their counselors, and said, who are some of the families that might need just a little extra compassion this year? And they gave us the names and, and they got to come. And some of you might ask, why did you do a store where they actually had to pay for their own stuff instead of just giving them stuff. Wouldn't that be easier, giving it to them for free? And I um, have this story in my head that I've read several times in several different stories and occasions. And well-intentioned people like myself who have done this many times would get a list from a family that needed Christmas presents. And we would go, and we would buy all these Christmas presents, and we would show up, and we would just be so excited to give them the Christmas presents. And the mom would be excited, and the kids would be excited. And they found out that the dad was either slipping out the back door or hiding in another room because he was so humiliated that as the man of the house, he couldn't provide for his kids and that a very well-intentioned stranger was providing. And as a man, and as a parent, we understand what that would feel like. So through this store, we wanted to make sure that no one felt like that. That not only were we providing the material gifts, but we were providing the spiritual care. That we were providing dignity, and care, and worth, and value in the process of this store. The night before uh, the store, we received an email from one of the moms who was coming, and I want to read what she said. She said, I'm getting so oh, 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 excited about Saturday. I was thinking how I actually pay for the kids' gifts, and it's not much at all. It makes me feel so good inside that I actually can afford Christmas. Whoever came up with this are a blessing to my family. 10 exclamation points. I'm actually crying as I type this because I'm so grateful. Thanks again. See everyone at 9 a.m. sharp. And 9 a.m. sharp came, and these families came in. And I, I was a little nervous uh, just because I wanted them to feel like they were there for a reason and that we cared for them. Um, and as the families walked in, we had these greeters, these registration uh, friendliest people ever who were smiling and were loving on them before they even saw the presents. And then they came in and we had personal shoppers that were kind of shopping with them to kind of say, like some of them have multiple kids. So we look like Sherpas with like bags, you know, on us, trying to figure out where to where to take them. And I remember one uh, mom that I had, she I said, Where would you like to go? Like what are your kids like? And she goes, I I don't even know where to start. And I said, What do you mean? She goes, I've, I've put no thought into this. She said, I literally told my kids they were getting socks for Christmas. And I had been telling them that the whole year because I didn't want them to get their hopes up. And she goes, they have no idea they're getting these things. And I saw um, moms hugging the necks of volunteers that they've only met for 30 minutes and just to say how grateful they are. And the thing that hit me the most were these dads I think one dad I saw had come from his lunch break, and, and he came in, and the smile that he had on his face when he paid at the cashier made me think, he will get to experience what we get to experience when our kids open their presents. He will have pride, and he will have dignity and worth to say that he paid for those presents. And that was a powerful, powerful experience. I want you to know that um, yesterday was more about just the gifts and decorating a Christmas store, but it was about giving our neighbors what God wants for all of us, and that's the feeling of dignity, of worth, of value, of second chances, of compassion. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I just thank you so much for your loving kindness that you've showed each and every one of us. And the opportunity to get to display those characteristics to others is absolutely mind-boggling to me. And yesterday was just a glimpse of just how precious you see each and every one of your children. And it overwhelms me to think that you have such love in your heart for us, and that we get to share that with others. God, I pray that you would open our eyes this season especially to see those who might be hurting, to be present with others, to look them in their eyes and actually ask how they're doing, and then be there for them when they need something. God, I pray that you would humble us, and that it wouldn't be about the frenzied pace of the holidays, but it would be about giving more Spending less and being present. Thank you. Amen.